Hey, do you have an interesting story to tell about your life or your business and how you got into it? Maybe you know somebody who does, or maybe you've got an idea about a topic that might be interesting or funny to have a conversation about. Hey, if you do, shoot me an email to info at you don't say dot net. Again, that's info at you don't say dot net or post a comment on our Facebook page. We're at YDS Stories. Again, that's YDS Stories on Facebook. And hey, maybe I'll be talking to you soon. Drew Zagorski here. You know what? I love my dog. I've loved every dog I've ever owned, even the one that went sideways on me. And you know what? That didn't have to happen. I adopted him from what was presented as a legit rescue. It wasn't, and shame on me for not digging deeper before moving forward with the adoption. If you're a dog lover like me and are looking to adopt or foster from a fully vetted placement organization with actual vets on the team, no pun intended, and you live in the Pacific Northwest, you need to know about Must Love Dogs Northwest. Must Love Dogs is a 501c3 nonprofit, all-volunteer organization dedicated to ending pet homelessness. They work to rehome dogs that are abused, neglected, and homeless or about to be homeless and those in shelter settings. Must Love Dogs offers spay-neuter services, microchip assistance, training in lieu of surrender, and provides compassion grants for those in need. Must Love Dogs is run by volunteers who dedicate their time and love to their four-legged friends. So, if it's time to bring a new dog into your heart and home as a full-time family member or foster a homeless pup, whether it's the first time you're doing it or you're growing your pack, or if you want to donate or support a fundraising event or volunteer, give Must Love Dogs a call at 844-364-7690. Again, that's 844-364-7690, or visit them online at mustlovedogsnw.org. Again, that website must love dogs nw.org hey this is drew zagorski you're listening to you don't say thanks for that don't forget to follow and review us wherever you listen to podcasts or at you don't say.net and share with family friends and everyone else you know so here's the story religion faith touchy subjects when you're talking with anyone in the best of times well i'm going there with you today I was raised in a Catholic church, Catholic grammar school, and high school too. So during the school year for me, my siblings, and pretty much all of our pals, it was Catholicism six days a week, and sometimes on Saturday when we went to Saturday Mass instead of Sunday morning. Yeah, that's a thing for Catholics. I've always wondered if it was created to accommodate the NFL, but anyway, other Catholics were all we really knew, so it was just how it was. My gramp, Stan Gwizewski, God rest his beautiful soul, is my hero and role model. He was a strong man of faith, the organist at our church. But Stan's faith and his example of devotion to it is a bar that, at this point in my life, I've never come close to matching, and I probably never will. Now, don't get me wrong, I have at least so far in my life a strong faith in my God, my Creator, and the concept of true Christianity that to love others is the greatest commandment of all. Not the one that people who claim faith but condemn people for not falling in line with their dogma, who they are, who they love, or choices they've made. And believe me, I live in a glass house. I fall short of that love others thing way too often. But there's absolutely no question in my mind that despite 18 years of Catholic programming, my faith doesn't happen if it wasn't for my gramp. When I hear those old hymns, it's more him I think of. Like I said, he's my giant, but over the years... You know, I've come to my own conclusions about faith and religion. 
And I also want to be clear on where I'm coming from in my thoughts on faith and religion. Full disclosure, I don't believe any single religion or belief system has all the answers. In fact, I think atheists and agnostics have some of the answers too. I got to say, I know a lot of folks who fall into those categories that are more quote unquote Christian than people who claim to be. God, whatever, whoever that is for you, is the only one who has all the answers. Just look around. It's pretty damn certain we sure as hell don't. I've been taught that God, if you're not into that terminology, just roll with me on it. It's what's hard-coded in me, so feel free to substitute your own word when you hear me use it. He, she, whatever, created everything. If we buy into that, then God created all the religions of the world, all the races, genders, sexual orientations, and everything else that makes us so diverse. Maybe, just maybe, God, Allah, Buddha, the Great Spirit, created all of those differences to teach us tolerance and that it was all created to give us a path to find and live through the better angels of our nature. Yeah, I'm all in on angels too. But taking that further, if God created it all, isn't there truth and beauty in all of it, even that transgender drag queen? They have beauty and truth just as much as you and I. Just because I've got a Catholic indoctrination doesn't mean that my Jewish cousin or brother-in-law and nieces and nephews are locked out. If you haven't, try to open your head and heart up to that thought. So what's this got to do with things? Here's what. Let's be honest. The world around us is kind of a dumpster fire right now. Violence, division, hate speech, racism, and technology is sucking our very souls out of us by eliminating human touch. It's fucking heartbreaking. And I got to be honest here, too. Through all of these past five or six months of the pandemic, rioting and the efforts to achieve racial equity, there are a whole lot of mornings when I wake up in the small hours and I cry about all of it deeply. It's a sad state of affairs. There are times, and they're getting more and more frequent when I feel like, when I see the latest headline about someone being murdered, politicians sowing more division, anarchists bringing violence to the streets while attaching themselves to a noble cause that they have no real connection to, or someone passing too soon from whatever illness, that I think to myself, shit, this is the one that's going to break me. It can be a pretty hopeless feeling. I mean... Where's God in all this? It feels sometimes like the creator is taking a sabbatical or maybe he just threw in the towel on the whole experiment. When you look around and see what's going on, it sure seems like we're all beyond redemption or hope. Then, then you hear about the story of the person who stepped into the breach and risked their life to save someone they didn't even know, or the kid who organized a food drive or a person who walked through a Goodwill store and handed out a $100 bill to a single mom who's in tears because she just wants to make a nice holiday for her kids. Or maybe on your morning walk you see a butterfly land on that outrageously orange flower. It's out there. Hope. It is. If we just look for it hard enough. I keep reminding myself that, and for me, that hope is born in my faith as tangled up as it may be. So as I wondered about this, I thought it sure would be good to talk to a person of the cloth about it. Then it occurred to me he's right across the street. My neighbor, Dave Fields, is a preacher. He's been the lead pastor of Hillsboro First Baptist Church since 2009 and has worked as an adjunct professor for Corbin University. Dave holds a Master's of Divinity degree from Western Seminary and a Doctorate of Education from Grand Canyon University. He and his wife, Jeannie, have three adult children and three grandkids, and he's passionate about playing golf badly, and his work is to try and make the Bible relatable to everyone. 
Now, in our conversation today, Dave will reference Christian scriptures, and I'll make references to my own Christianity roots, but just get past any bias you might have about that and roll with it again. That's where he's coming from. That's where I'm coming from. Maybe there's wisdom here for you that you never thought possible. Neither Dave nor I is looking to convert anyone to anything other than maybe converting someone from a feeling of hopelessness and troubled times to one of hope. So joining me today is my neighbor and friend, Dave Fields. Dave, thanks for uh, jumping in on the podcast today. And uh, before we get into too much serious business, my brother sent me a joke this morning, and I think you'll enjoy it. Feel free to use it, my brother Joe. Um, So all the numbers got together and had a convention. And one of the awards they give away every year is the worst number of the year. So right away, when they start taking the voting, 13 starts jumping up and down. It says, me, me, me. No, no. 666 jumps up. It says, I'm the worst number. And just as he says that, the doors of the back of the auditorium bust open and in walks 2020. Yeah, absolutely. So, so dad joke or whatever, but uh, you might be able to use that one in one of your sermons, but. So the other thing, too, is um, as we record this, the wildfires in Oregon, you know, um, at least in our neighborhood, the the sky is orange. And, you know, I took some photos of it for friends and family back home, but it's it's the same that you would see in L.A., probably not to the same intensity, but it's a pretty eerie and depressing vibe going on outside um and so i guess that's just part of this year i'm I'm wondering if the frogs are coming next month yeah that's what somebody has been uh, i've been asking which plague is coming next and will pharaoh please let his people go (laughs) (laughs) yeah enough already yeah so you know along those lines the the whole focus of our conversation today is how do we find hope when everything around us seems to just be unraveling and there's a lot of hopelessness around us. And so, you know, you, you really have to dig deep to find something to grab onto, to, to keep the boat floating, so to speak. And, you know, like I said, in my intro, you and I both, though I came up through the Catholic church, um, I don't know if you've been Baptist your whole life, but you are preaching in a Baptist church right now. So we both come at it from a Christian perspective. And um, I, I really would like for people who are listening to this to to put, you know, titles and all that kind of stuff aside and just um, listen to our conversation in terms of uh, faith and, and where it comes from and, and how it helps us and maybe regardless of whatever faith people might have or not, um, they might hear something that they can apply to their own lives. So to start us off, Dave, why don't you kind of give me a little bit more of your background? I talked a little bit about your um, education and training and what you're doing these days. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I grew up in the, the Bay Area, California, and uh, so my parents were divorced at a pretty young age. I bounced around just like a ton as a kid, lived with mom and boyfriends, mom and stepdad, dad and, you know, stepmoms and 
And for me as a kid, you know, I mean, everybody has trauma in their past. You know, for a kid, that was fairly traumatic. And and bouncing around different schools, you know, like 11 different schools. And my grandparents' home, you know, and I, Drew, I know you mentioned your grandfather. My grandparents' home for me was, was a place of peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they went to church. That was a regular part of their life. They were definitely people of faith. But there was just their consistency, um, you know, dinner at the tables, just loving environments, safe, that, that made me feel at peace. And so as a kid, I started seeing peace and faith kind of being the same thing or God being peace. Um, and then as I got older and started, you know, rebelling a little bit and, and uh, going my own way and, and going back and, and looking over that, examining it for myself. Um, I found that to be, I found that to be true for me. It got a whole piece. And so then, uh, you know, I, I felt a call to ministry at a very young age. And, uh, and that's all I've pursued since I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, we've had ups and downs in our family, you know, trauma, uh, um, tragedies, and, um, you know, definitely had the core of our being, shaken at times as most of us do right through life right right but but have always felt like i had a foundation uh that i was standing on through all of that right and uh yeah we've we've moved around i mean i think part of my childhood um i i didn't realize that it impacted me i had this internal clock that went off about every three to five years in my body that went okay it's time to move yeah (laughs) Been, yeah. been in one place too long. And I unfortunately did that to my kids growing up. And uh, we finally uh, recognized that, you know, through some counseling and stuff like that. And uh, I, yeah, we've, we've, uh, we love where we live now. And, you know, for the most part, our neighbors are pretty good. And uh, we, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> They're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we're, we're in a pretty, you know, healthy place right now where we, we love where we live and um, for the most part what we do. Right. So, you know, the, the, as, as I look around what's going on in the world um, and you and I had a previous conversation about this, you know, that, that we're going through some pretty harrowing stuff um, in terms of social unrest, political unrest, not, not just in the United States, but, but all over the world. And you know what? It's, it's nothing new, you know, th- that we've gone through this world and every country and city and town and family in it has gone through, you know, fire, you know, yeah. literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. Um, and the people have persevered. Well, you know, the thing of it is, is that in the past, 30 years, probably we see it more because of technology. I mean, you know, everyone has a phone for good and bad and the media is everywhere. So there's really no filter on the world anymore. You know, when you and I were kids, you had three network stations, maybe a couple local stations and 30 minutes of network news. And we didn't see a lot, you know, and unless you were reading, you know, papers. And so I think that I wonder if, if this is just nothing new, it's just, we see more of it. Yeah. I mean, exactly. And, you know, not only were we not necessarily aware of it, unless we were really digging through a good periodical or newspaper to find something that was happening in 
the other part of the world. But now I see it on my phone within the first five minutes that it happens. Right. And I'm getting commentary on it in the next 30 minutes and I'm inundated with it. And what we've found is, and I think studies have showed this, is that we are becoming callous, you know, almost immune to tragedy. We see so much of it. It, It's, I mean, I'm looking at pictures. I, I teach down in Salem. I was down in Salem two days ago. It looked like, you know, end of days down there. Right. See anything like it. I mean, and, and yet I'm just kind of like, you know, (laughs) there's people are burning, you know, but we become, we become immune to almost the things that are happening. Um, You know, I I don't think anything surprises us when we turn on the TV anymore, at least in 2020. Right. I mean, right. Right. Well, Dave, you know, the, one of the things is, is this, that, as that whole technology and information revolution hit you and I, we were really kind of off and running in our 20s, 30s, adult, in our adult years. And so we are able to process it. And I, and in thinking about this conversation today and, you know, my kids' stories, personally, their stories and the friends that they grew up with, one of their first memories was, was those planes running into the tower and right. and then you know youtube videos of isis beheading people and the, we're talking about 10 year old minds yeah you know and the impact that that's had and i'm certain that not just all of that ugliness that's fed to them but just the uh division that technology has put between people um and human contact and you know, I'm sure that is a major contributor to a lot of the depression we see in younger people. But yeah, now we see stuff happening across the globe, horrible stuff. And it's, it just kind of, okay, another day. Yeah. And, and now in America right now, it's come home to roost. Yeah. And I, it's interesting to me in the age groups. So I pastor a church uh, you know, multi-generational, but if I'm honest, we have a, a larger group of older people, older than me. I'm in my early fifties. And when this pandemic hit, my assumption was, you know, those, these older folks are going to be a little panicked. That hasn't been the case. In fact, they're a little, they're a little too loosey goosey with some of the rules. The, right. the older generation is, it's my younger people that are like, much more likely to stay in the house, stay, you know, okay. sure all the rules we follow. And the older people uh, are doing it because their kids are making them. And, and I, my 27-year-old is checking in on me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they, they are facing it differently. And I don't think of the older generation is, is we've seen a little bit more stuff come and go, uh, maybe. Right. Um, or maybe it's, I don't know, political leanings or something. I don't know. But it seems, you know, I... I don't think uh, the older you are, you're maybe not as likely to hit the panic button, possibly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to kind of go back to that whole cycle of um, trouble in the world and just thinking about the United States, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a history junkie. Yeah. And so again, thinking through our conversation today, I was going back through time in the United States and, it's nothing new, the unrest we're seeing, 
the political division. It's probably intensified more because there's more people in the country than there was back in the day. But I mean, the, the American revolution, you know, then Andrew Jackson, you know, 40, 50 years in the populist revolution that he brought with him and the civil war, then in the early 1900s, you know, the rise of socialism and Eugene Debs against running for president and the thirties and the depression and world wars and Vietnam and political unrest, Kennedy, King Kennedy, two thousands. It just happens over and over. And going back to that faith thing for me, you know, I'll tell you this, that I grew up Catholic. I was born and raised Catholic. Like I said, I, you know, 12 years of Catholic schools and, you know, add in all the other stuff on top of that, all of that Catholic indoctrination. By the time I was off on my own, I was kind of burned out (laughs) on, on religion, you know, but without that, I couldn't have questioned things the way I do. One of in high school, one of my favorite classes was major religions of the world. And the teacher I had, and I went to a Catholic school, was really kind of an enlightened thing that they did to offer this class and make it mandatory to learn about other religions and be accepting of them. And when you boil it all down, really kind of you got this moral code that's the same everywhere. And But where I'm going with all of this, long way around the barn, is to say that I, while I can't say honestly I hope my mom's not listening. I'm not a practicing Catholic, you know. I don't go to church on Sunday, but I pray every day uh, to the God that I was raised on and, you know, believe in the Jesus story. But that's me, you know. I don't, unless somebody asks me about it, I'm not, you know, going there. But that faith and the understanding of the tenets of it have given me that foundation to weather the storms that I've seen in my life. And I'm sure there'll be a whole lot more so that I can go back to those teachings. And, you know, for me, the thing is always the greatest commandment of all is love one another. And I go back to that. And so when I see strife in the world, when I see people getting shot on the streets and rioting and uh, people dying from diseases that could have been prevented maybe or not, who knows. I, and, and that's what the, the news media is force feeding us through every channel we possibly can put our hands on. I always kind of go back to is where are the people I think about the nurses on the front lines, sure. you know, and the work that they're doing. One of my other favorite shows is CBS Sunday Morning for the simple fact that it's not uh, real heavy news. And there's a lot of human interest stories in there and, um, you know, hopeful stories and stories about good things happening. You know, the kid that set up the lemonade stand or the lawnmower business to raise money for the homeless. So, you know, you got to go find those things and see them around, you know. And the other thing is then I think if people are hitting this hopeless space, when they look around what's going on is to get out and volunteer and do things to help other people, because you're going to see a whole lot of hopeful and uplifting things happening in those settings. And so I come at it from that perspective of the, the religious faith upbringing that I had. And if I was, if, if I grew up in a home where we didn't really believe in anything, I think that's gotta be harder. Don't you? 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, I agree with what you're you're saying there. Finding the, you know, what is it? Finding the helpers in the situation, finding the good in that, and loving our neighbor. Um, I, I think, you know, beyond even the moral tenets of of faith and religions, the the narrative of the Hebrew Bible and then the Christian New Testament has this amazing way to put yourself in the narrative and. You know, you have this beautiful garden scene, and God is with the people, and everything is great, you know, and, and I mean, the whole story of the, the first chapter, God creates this, it's good, God creates mm-hmm. it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, and then there's this one tree where he says, here's the, here's the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat from that, and the temptation is, am I going to believe that what God said was good is good, or am I going to define good and evil on my own? And I think in that narrative, when, when humanity chooses their own way, the relationship with God is broken. And, and that's, that's, that's what a lot of times religion talks about. But beyond that, right in the text there, the, the relationship with the earth is broken. God starts talking about these things are going to be thorns, and you're going to be working harder, and this is going to be, you know, difficult. And the relationship with one another is broken. I mean, in the next chapter, brother kills his brother. And the relationship with ourself is broken. And, you know, there's this weird situation. And, I, you know, I teach college kids, so this always gets awkward. But Adam and Eve are naked, and then they feel shame. And, and in that, Drew, shame enters the world in the narrative there. And, you know, I don't know what your life is like, but, man, I... I don't think I can go a day without thinking. I wonder what somebody else is thinking about me. I wonder, you know, uh, if this person, you know, I, I, I live in this. Right, right. This, it just is natural to us. I don't have any idea what it would be like to ever live without that feeling at some point. So, we're always being judged and judging others. Right. I mean, it's just come so natural, even when we're helping, right? It's like, oh, my, did I get the right thank you? I, you know, yeah. even I'm trying to love people. I still have this thing in the back. And so the narrative of the Hebrew scriptures gives us this reason why our world is messed up, why our relationships are messed up, and why I'm messed up. And so what we end up following is this entire story that goes, that goes all the way to the very end in Revelation. And it's not to the last two chapters of Revelation where we start getting this new picture of something else that's better. And so for me, I, I use the term that we live in an upside down world. It's not the world that God intended. And it's not the world we're headed to. And so I guess I'm not surprised, you know, and I agree with you. I don't think there's anything new. In fact, Solomon says that in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. And I, I think right. it, it, might, it has a different name to it, right? It has a different, it has different flavor, but there's nothing new. There's disease and there's corrupt politicians, and there's selfishness, and there's racism. It's all through history. You know, I mean, I was thinking of this, well, I don't know why this keeps coming to mind, but my grandfather told me a story after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. He and his brothers piled into an old Model T pickup truck to, to, to go to the, the, the nearest town to enlist. They got shot at trying to enlist. Um, and, you know, America was in such a panic okay. that somebody put soldiers on all the bridges 
they live like, I think it was like in Oklahoma or something like that. Right. Right. Out in the sticks. And there's this, this one soldier sitting out on this bridge in the middle of nowhere, told to protect it with his life. And he was told to give a warning shot. And if they didn't stop that, he was supposed to shoot. That was the orders. (laughs) You know, people were in such a panic after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. And so my grandfather says, you know, they heard this shot and they just thought it was like a backfire or something like that. And they, behind him and there's this eight-year-old kid you know sitting on this bridge shaking and panic is there's no there's nothing new about panic you know we've been doing that all of our lives so for me I, I find hope not just in my faith but in the narrative of the story and the hope that is to come you know I'm sure in Catholic Church you are encouraged to you know pray the Lord's Prayer you know right right yep you know and it says in there, your kingdom come. By definition, that is subversive. I, I am praying for another kingdom. I live in a kingdom. Right. Uh, it's, you know, it's a republic, but right. I live in one and I'm praying for another one. I'm praying for an overturn of what I currently know. And I pray that daily. Now, right. I think that that kingdom also has sense and, you know, I need to live according to the kingdom principles that is God's kingdom principles, not my kingdom principles. Right. But I think there is a larger picture there that every time I pray that, I'm reminded that this isn't forever, that there is something else to come. And I think Jesus wanted us to not just be thinking about today, but have hope in the future. Right. So, you know, in, in, the context of our conversation and thinking about people who do who don't prescribe to a an organized faith, organized religion. I have people close to me in my own family who don't, and they behave m- more like Christians than a lot of Christians do. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, as as you and I might reference the Bible, and and you know, I just say to people who 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 are not. Uh, Christian or the Bible is a really fascinating book. Even if you're going to take it just for what it is, this is a story. And, and so I would encourage people to um, seek out an approachable version of it. If, if nothing else to read it as a work of literature that is riddled with some really fantastic tools and, and life lessons to take out of it that you can apply that, you know, it's, it is, it isn't out of style. <laughs> well, I mean, this, it's an amazing piece of literature for something that's several thousand years old. Right. I mean, talk about something that's been around for a while. Yeah. It's reading just on that alone and that we have it in a version and several versions in which we can actually understand it, you know? Right. The approach to what we, we do in a situation like we're facing today where bad byproducts of technology is it creates, it's allowed people to create their own silos. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, I, I, and I mean, it's on everybody. I look at my own Facebook feed, for example, and most of it is posts of like-mindedness. Yeah. You know, I do have some beautiful friends who hit me with <laughs> some really different perspectives and views. And when the other people on my feeds, you know, see me comment on them or they're, they're just like, where'd that guy come from? Right, right. You know? And so I think 
with the goal of finding hope is get out of that silo, right? And while it might be comforting to hear and see and whatever, everything that feels good to you, you got to get out of it um, and experience other people and other perspectives because the longer you stay in that silo, right, the, the hard and more hardened you're going to become to anything that's contrary to what you want to believe. And we're never going to be able to reach a point where we can come together again. And in the coming together, communion, if we're going to talk about faith language, is, is where we all can kind of be um, restored, right? Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, I think the business world uses the word silos. We've been using the word tribes. Yeah. And it's just, just words. But, but, you know, what ends up happening is when you're, you're of a tribe for a period of time, um, you start to fight for your tribes, whatever it is. You got your jersey on. Right. And, and that's what we're starting to see is, is tribes are really chucking stuff at each other and really getting nasty. When we come, you know, you mentioned communion, and I'll, I'll take that literally for a second. When, when we as a church come to the communion table, it is a, the word is participation in the Lord's body and blood. And so what we say as a community, what we're saying as a community is, this is what unites us. And, you know, it's becoming increasingly different, but I, I try to say regularly, I don't care what side of the political camp you're on. Or, you know, what tribe you're in here or here. This is what unite. This is what, what we, we can agree on and come together and, and hopefully from that then build conversations around the rest. Um, I think there needs to be something that's unifying. But I think the things that have become unifying are sinking ships and they're just not worth grabbing onto. Time for a break. We'll be back with more of our conversation right after this. Buying or building a home or property is the biggest transaction you'll make in your life. Why trust it to just anyone? I mean, just because somebody stayed in a specific hotel last night really doesn't make them an expert. As a kid, Teresa Springer was hooking her dolls up with mortgage loans. Mortgage lending is in her blood. It's all she's ever done. With more than 30 years of experience in banking and lending, she can literally teach a master class in buying and financing homes. And with the power of Movement Mortgage Team behind her, Teresa has the keys to unlock your dream home or development project more efficiently and with less drama than almost anyone on the planet. Give Teresa a call at 360-798-4161. Again, that's 360-798-4161. Or visit her online at teresaspringer.com. Phonetically, that's there'sasspringer.com. Teresa Springer, NMLS 70667. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity. NMLS ID 39179. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Movement Mortgage LLC is licensed by California Department of Business Oversight under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act, number 4131054, Oregon ML 5081, Washington CL-39179. Interest rates and products are subject to change without notice and may or may not be available at the time of the loan commitment or lock-in. Borrowers must qualify for all benefits. Movement Mortgage is a registered trademark of the Movement Mortgage LLC, a Delaware limited liability company. So full disclosure, I'm a princess. I'm a pillow princess. For 53 years, I'd searched the world for a pillow I could fall in love with. Being a stomach sleeper, that added a bigger challenge. 
Some were too hard, some too lumpy, some too flat, hot, cold, too fluffy, not enough. Then, about two years ago, I found the Easy Breather Pillow from Nest Easy Bedding. Oh. My. God. I've loved this pillow since the very first night, and it hasn't worn out since. Here's the thing. The pillow has a zipper so you can pull out the stuffing to fit you perfectly, and that stuffing is a revelation, too. A combination of noodly things and fiber. It fluffs back up perfectly. I'm never going to sleep on any other pillow ever. Try it for yourself. You'll get a 30-night trial with free shipping and returns and humans to talk to if you need any customer support. So, bring a new love into your bed. Order your Easy Breather pillow today at bit.ly forward slash easy breather. Again, that website is bit.ly forward slash easy breather. Seeking out those people and uh, organizations and things that are doing things that can put you outside of your comfort zone and, and being able to dial back into different perspectives and different ideas and to, you know, go out and do things together because there's another part of it is when you go to do some volunteer work or whatever, the people who are there are from probably from all different backgrounds. Absolutely. You know, and you go through that experience, you have a shared experience coming out of it. And then suddenly, you know, that uh, liberal guy down the street was at the soup kitchen and he was standing next to that conservative guy and they're helping people together, having a few laughs. And in that, there is hope. And I, and I would add to that, right? I think that the same thing that we talked about earlier about Facebook and all this different media, we're, we're overrun with all these ideas. You know, I would just say to somebody, find something that you are passionate about. Like we're, you know, I mean, we've got racial injustice and we've got people who, um, you know, like soup kitchen, people who are hungry. We have children that are in danger. The foster care system in Oregon is a mess. And and you can become overwhelmed. I can't help with all that. Pick something that you're passionate about. Pick pick one thing and say, I'm going to get involved in this. This is where I'm going to. And for us, you know, just a little bit of our story. Ours has been the foster care system. We've been involved in that and adopting. And 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 I, and I look at things and I go, I can't, I can't fix everything. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure you heard the old starfish analogy. Um, you know, this. Have you heard this one? No, no, no. Walking across the beach and there's just a ton of starfish that have been washed up by the tide. And uh, he's throwing in them in the and there's just they're all over the beach and he's throwing them in the ocean. And some old man comes and said. You can't save them all. And the little boy picks it up, a starfish, and throws it in the ocean and said, I can save that one. Right? Let, let's just yeah. pick one thing that we can make a difference on. And the more that we – and the, the, the New Testament is, is so clear about the idea of giving of yourself and giving to others. That, that reversal of what's natural is where we find life and significance when we, when we give to other people, and I would say through – the help and power of the Holy Spirit and transform life, Jesus Christ. But, but when we give of ourselves, we find more joy in that than when we take for ourselves. Right. I'm horribly guilty before I say another word. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to call your mom, tell her you haven't been to church. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going to tell her to skip this episode. Um, you know, the, there's such vitriol, in our world and what's going on in it, particularly, you know, 
in terms of politics and things like that. Oh, yeah. And I'm not happy with the current administration. Um, anybody who knows me uh, I, is pretty clear about that, you know, and I throw not in public per se, but Linda, my wife, can tell you <laughs> I, I can make a sailor blush in terms of the things I say about the politics of the world right now. And it is a really hard thing to try to um, get my head in the right space to say they're doing what they're doing and I don't like it. I don't like it at all. Maybe I think it's completely immoral, but I got to pray for them or I got to try and find, if, if not that, just try and find some space to say, God help them. You know, and that's just in my own Christian upbringing that I think about that. But, you know, how can people, regardless of their faith, be able to dial into that? Because I think in, in doing those kinds of things, there's you find hope when when you're able to let go of that anger or rage or hatred or whatever it is. Right. And you're able to soften your heart and open up to somebody. My best friend on the planet is completely 360 degrees diametrically opposed to my political views. And we get into it, you know, and he's one of the biggest blessings in my life um, because we can. And at the end of it, we're able to come back to say, you know, laughing or let's go have a beer or, you know, whatever. And that's hard, hard, hard to do. There are times when we get into it and it's, it's a couple of days before we touch base again, you know, but it's all good. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I would use, I mean, I know you're a sports fan. I, I would use a sports analogy here. I grew up uh, in the Bay Area again, and I'm a huge San Francisco Giants fan. I think you, you I think you yeah. flag. Yeah. And, um, you know, growing up and going to, we, our, our team used to play in Candlestick Park, which just so you know, was a total dive. I mean, I had, that's the only ballpark I knew. But it, mm-hmm. it was a dive. And we would go there on some blistery cold night and just yell at Dodger fans. Like they were just the scum of the earth. You know, I, I don't, right. you just grew up with, and I moved to Southern California for a period of time and, and uh, did some ministry there and went to a Dodgers game. I remember for the first time they weren't playing the giants, but they, I went to a Dodger game and that ballpark is so much nicer than the one that I went to. And, all the people at Candlestick Park were dressed in, all the workers were dressed in security like bouncers. Go to Dodger Stadium, they're wearing straw hats and in these blue and yeah. and, and there was a part of going, you know what, there is a whole different group out there that's enjoying the same thing. And I don't know, I mean, I don't really hate Dodger fans. I mean, it's just part of fun of the rivalry, but... right. But somehow we get swept up into the, the left and the right. And again, we're just so trying to protect our tribe that we're willing to overlook faults in it. And yeah. I, I've had people, you know, to be honest with you, I've had people leave my church because I'm unwilling to kiss the ring of the current leader of, of the Republican Party. And I, I just, to me, both parties have flaws. Uh, yep. One side wants to say we can do whatever we want with our money but we're going to make laws about all of our morality stuff. The other side says we can do whatever we want with morality, but we want to make laws with our money. And 
they're just they're just they're opposed. They're two systems that I think, and and you can correct me here, but it seemed like growing up that they used to work together a little bit more. Oh yeah. Uh, now I don't think they work together yeah. at all. They, they don't even talk unless, no. unless they're called out in public. I, it used to be uh, people went into politics. I think to to help people. But I, I don't know that I, I don't know that it's just not become another financial money. It, it's, I, I, it's a money game. And so, you know, for me, um, you know, where do we find peace in all this? You're, you're right. We need to talk with people on the other side of the aisle that are human beings. And we need to see each other, you know, to use a Bible term uh, as being created in the image of God. And whether that's the racial things that we're going through in our country, whether that's the political things that we are going through in our country, I believe with my whole heart that every human being is created in the image of God and should be treated as such. And I somehow the church, I'll put, I'll put myself first, the church, large C, we've lost that. And, and as a society, we've lost that. And we've become tribes that no longer speak, and it's becoming dangerous. Right, right. I, I, I think I referenced that a couple episodes ago. A big part of, I think, at least in terms of racism, is the language, you know, we're human beings. The, that over time, we, we got into the habit of saying, oh, they're, they're Chinese. They're... They're Mexicans, they're Canadians, they're Americans, they're, they're black, they're white. And that language begins the process of, you know, creating a major division to where if we can just say, you know what, we're, we're all people, we're all just people, different shapes and sizes and colors, but we're all in the same family. And, you know, again, coming back to the hope theme, it, I think for the the protests and things that we're seeing in terms of racial equity, um, there's no denying the centuries-long history of the, what's happened in this country in terms of racism. Absolutely. Um, and it's going to take decades more to undo all of that. But I think, you know, the people who are out peacefully protesting and trying to make change that I think it feels to me anyway, in my short 55 years, <laughs> that, that this time, it feels like something might actually move on it. It might be bringing us closer to, you know, to put it in your, the biblical terms of the tree of what it must have been like prior to pulling the apple off the tree. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, as I, as I listening to you, I mean, I, Absolutely. We want to see each other as human beings, creating the image of God. I think the other step that we need to come into, Drew, is, is appreciating different cultures in the sense of, um, I think when we label people, we're uncomfortable with their way of doing things. But we have so much to learn from different cultures. Diversity is our strength. And just recently, we had a 86-year-old um, woman die in our church, and uh, she had been a missionary in uh, Cote d'Ivoire, Africa. Uh, her son is still a missionary there. And, um, you know, when he shared with his friends that his mom had passed in a different country, mm-hmm. 
by by the evening time, he had over 30 people just sitting in his home. That That's the way there of just coming and sitting with you when you're in mourning. As a pastor, I went to, um, I went to the house, you know, uh, you know, after she passed and, and before she passed, but after she passed and, and prayed with her husband and I've called on him, but I didn't go and sit there for half a day, you know, I, and there's something about that culture that I look and I go, boy, they responded to death way better than I did. And I'm a pastor and I'm trained in that stuff. Right, right, right. <laughs> and so I just, I'm in awe of a different, and that's just the way there. I mean, that's, you know, you, you you don't have to ask to leave work because your friend's mom died. You just right. do it. And so we learn things from different culture. And I think the hope comes in. Yeah, I agree. I think something is moving, I hope. Um, but I do, I do have hope that some change is going to happen in there. Um, I, I, my hope is not in a political system or in a movement. Uh, my hope is in people. And, um, you know, I, I don't know if that, and maybe I'm mincing words there, but my hope is that we, uh, uh, and my hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is in the narrative of, of the Bible, the story of the right, Bible. Right, right. But, but my hope is is uh, is in that idea of really getting back to loving my neighbor, appreciating my neighbor right? Um, in a new way. And I, I think some of this pandemic, to me, I think there's, there's been some good that's come out of the pandemic in my life personally. So, and I, I think for other people, I think there's been some good that's come out of that. Can, can you share any of that? Yeah. I mean, this would be my things where, uh, to me, there's three things that um, have just been light bulbs for me. And first, the first one is just how important my rhythms are. And uh, I've joked with you, you're kind of my my uh, inspiration. I need to walk more and my dog wants me to walk more. And <laughs> you know, listeners, Drew is so faithful taking his dog for a walk. <laughs> <laughs> crack of dawn and and my dog will look at me like what where are we going or what are we doing Dave Dave is it time <laughs> <Come on. laughs> is it time you know but those simple rhythms and for me not just you know walking or exercise but my my reading of scripture my my prayer time my my solitude those have been so instrumental to me in in not losing my mind during this time I think those right. rhythms are so important. The second thing for me is, is um, values. Um, I confess that in the first two months of the pandemic, and my wife was laid off, I shared that with you, she still is. We looked at our checking account and we said, what in the world is going on? We have more money than we normally have. And we eat out way, way too much. Okay. And it, it's amazing to me just getting back to basics of having discussions of what do we really value? What do we really want to be priorities in our life? And we've had time during this pandemic to have that conversation. And my wife and I have made some, some I don't know, pretty monumental decisions in this process of things that we want to invest some more time in that we thought we were kind of past. And then the third thing, and you, this has been the topic of, of this podcast is I would just call it seeking. This is the perfect time to look deeper into faith or to look back at the roots of your faith or, or to examine another faith, to read the, to read the Bible. Like here is a time to say, you know what, the things, the buoys that I was holding on to before, aren't as strong as I thought they were. 
I need to open up my heart to something that's going to be a little bit bigger than that. And whether that's deeper relationships, uh, whether that's, you know, for me, the narrative of the scripture and the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But we need to find, we need to seek something that is stronger than what we have. And I think all of us need something stronger moving forward. Right. One of the memes that's scaring me, if a meme can scare you, is that 2020 is just the prequel to 2021. <laughs> don't even. This is just the trailer. <laughs> don't even. Yeah. I'm, I'm leaving the theater if that's the case. <laughs> yeah. So the um, things that I think I've, I've been um, focused more on, my, my rhythms, um, my, my values, and then just seeking more uh, of the faith and and what, um, you know, and for me, you know, as a pastor, you know, I've had to spend some more time in the Psalms, and the Psalms have these certain Psalms that are called laments, you know. And one of the laments, um, David says, "How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever?" And I mean, that's that's King David. I mean, he mm-hmm. he's with the Lord. He heard from the Lord. He and yet there was times in his life where he had felt like God had forgotten him. And I, I need to spend, I mean, you know, we've all been there, I think, to some degree or another. Right. And so those, those laments help me to refocus my faith. And I, you know, later in the Psalm, I think David says, um, yet I have trusted in you. And, and, you know, he, he, he trusts in God's loving kindness. So he says, look, one sense, God, I've, and I, I think you forgot me, but in another sense, I, I don't have anywhere else to turn and I'll keep trusting in your steadfast love. And I, I think that that's a rhythm um, and part of my seeking that's just really helped me stay grounded during this. I think I've stayed grounded. I think we've all hit the panic button once or twice, but for right. the most part, yeah. Right. And so, you know, putting that kind of into context for uh, any any of our listeners who maybe, again, um, are of a different faith background sure. or atheist, agnostic, whatever you want to call it, you know, all of the things that you just talked about, you're coming at it from a Christian perspective, but the, the faith is um, irrelevant to the things that you just talked about, really, um, in terms of dialing in, kind of slowing yourself down, because we're in a really supercharged time. So unplug. Um, take a breath, meditate, you know, find that quiet space to think about, you know, or just to clear your mind and, and get yourself grounded back in and rethink your priorities after that. And, and then, you know, hope is in seeking because when you're seeking, it's just a hopeful task. You don't look for something <laughs> if you have no hope of finding it. Right. right. Yeah. And so seeking whether it's faith, whether it's things to do for other people, whether I come back to just like seeking beauty in our world, regardless of what's going on. Um, I talked to a lady several weeks back to, to Grilla Gardenia was her name. And she talked about the connectedness of the plant world and how that can help us find peace, you know, and kind of going out in nature and contemplating that. You know, when you see the butterfly land on the flower and seeking out um, the beauty in other people. And if you if you go on that quest, you will find it. And it's probably 
a lot closer than you ever thought. If you just kind of turn off the news, go out and become a seeker. Yeah, I, I played golf uh, just last week. With Badly? Oh, always. <laughs> <laughs> with an Indian man who had his PhD, works here for Intel, and, and in stuff that I just couldn't even understand. And, uh, and he said, you know, I've always, the deeper I dig into science, the more I see the beauty of God. And he, he yep. was a member of a particular faith. Um, you know, my, my bent came out as we played and, and we just enjoyed our conversation. But the, the, the idea was the more that I dig into the design of nature, the more the character of the designer comes out to me. And I, I think that that's, you know, uh, I think that that's very true. And I, I agree with you, Drew. I think that people can find comfort in those things, regardless of their faith. And I, I have a bent that the story of the Bible is that we can't do it on ourselves, that we can't pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, but that God mm-hmm. does and sent his son to die for us. That, that it's not about us becoming better, but it's that Christ loved us and accepts us as sinners. And he paid the price for us that he restores us. Um, and I, I love in the Bible where it says you are a new creation. He is creating you new and I couldn't do it on my own. My, my, my childhood was too messed up. I'm too impulsive in my decision-making. Um, you, you know, your viewers can't see me. You see me every day. And, um, you know, I've found comfort in food and that doesn't work very well. Um, yeah. <laughs> that is an older man, but thought it did when I was younger. But what I have found that I, when I try to do it on my own, I fail, but Christ gives me the strength to do it. So I, I have a bent that way, but I agree with you. That um, and I don't think I'm saying anything, you know, revolutionary. But I think that those patterns still help anybody. Yeah, you know, I mean, and if the Bible isn't your taste, find a book of poetry. But find something. Seek. Uh, speaking of seeking, have you ever watched Connected? It's a Netflix series. No, it's a newer Netflix series. You got to yeah. check it out. It's all about science. And, and you, you know, when you started talking about, cause I have that thought a lot too, when I think about science and I'm not a science guy, but I, it's really fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I go back to that is who's the chief scientist, Yeah. Um, you know, or for someone else out there, the great creator, whatever you look at it. But anyway, so, you know, find comfort in others and go look for the hope because you'll find it. Um, rather than just kind of standing your ground and tensing up and raging against what's going on, um, go out and look, look for it. I, even if it like, like to me, like I said, that butterfly on the flower every once in a while, I just go on a flower walk Yeah. Um, because I see the color and the beauty and the life and it continues and it will, it will. It will continue past all of this. I keep reminding myself that sometimes not so successfully, but I do. And, you know, whatever your beliefs, I think we can come back to that core set of things that make us all human and, you know, loving one another and, and trying to get past superficial things like politics and remembering that we are all one family uh, can be a really hopeful path to walk down. I've been trying to uh, unsuccessfully for three or four weeks now 
trying to get out of town into the country where I could just see the stars. You know, you just right, right. Neighbor, but then I, we were hit with fires when my wife and I tried to do it. And uh, there's a great story in the Bible where, where Abram is is uh, he's childless and God is giving him these promises and different things and. He takes him outside and he says, look at the stars. And he says, uh, your descendants are going to be, count them. Which you, can't, you can't count the stars when you're out in the middle of nowhere, right? Looking at that. And for us just to sometimes sit back, to look at the stars and realize how small we are in one sense. Right. And yet in the other sense, you know, we're here. We're a part of this. There's, there's also a, a bigness to that, right? I mean, how... Right. How in all this universe did we end up on this planet at this time? Right. Um, and so to sit back and go, man, in one sense, I'm really small. In the other sense, I'm significant. And I think living in that balance of understanding I'm created in the image of God and I'm loved by God helps me uh, to face each day as both being insignificant and significant at the same time, if that makes right. sense. Right. Yeah. You know, we're fortunate, Dave, in the part of the world that we live in, even though we are in a smaller big city. Yeah. You and I can go out on our back decks at night on a clear night and we we get a pretty decent star showing, you know, compared to being in the inner city. And, you know, the I, I opened with, with reference to my grandfather. Yeah. Um, and, and I hope I don't get all emotional here, but I do that often is go out on my deck in the early morning and look up mm. and in the stars and I see him and I feel his presence. Um, and, and that's a God thing to me, but I'm, you know, having a connection with my grandfather, just looking up Sorry. there and saying, he's looking over me. He's mm-hmm. looking over my brothers and sisters, my kids, all of us. So you know, there's there's a lot of hope in that and being able to, for me, go out and find that connection, um, whatever it is I'm seeing, that uh, it's all good and it's all hopeful and, and the, the, the crap that our world is going through right now is going to pass. And I think we'll come out for the better on a lot of things. And I would just encourage people to seek that stuff out. You know, if you're not, again, if you're not a Christian, read the Bible as literature because it's a really fascinating read. Um, read into other religions, not just the Christian faith. L- learn about what they're all about uh, so that we can all come together and have a, have a closer bond and understanding of one another. Um, so as we're rounding the bend on, on the final stretch of our conversation here, Dave, any final thoughts you want to share with people on, in terms of finding hope in what seems like a hopeless world? You know, I, I think, and I said that this is really a time to ask ourselves the questions about faith. And, you know, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I understand some people, as you said, are um, atheists or agnostic. Um, you know, there's difference between being an agnostic who has studied everything and come to a conclusion. Right. Somebody who's just an agnostic because it's an easy way of not having to deal with the question. I think these things bring us to a point where we have to deal with the question. What is it that I really believe and I find hope in? But to not do the work, uh, to not examine it, well, I think you really miss out on something, well, I think eternal and hopeful, but I think you really miss out on 
uh, in something bigger. So I think this is a time to uh, to examine it. I, I have found helpful. I don't know if I'm allowed to do this, but there's a website called the Bible Project, and they do really the, what? What is it? The Bible Project. The Bible Project. Okay. He's a really good Hebrew scholar, and he does. They do little like five minute videos explaining different books of the Bible and different words in the Bible, different stories of the Bible. And it really helps you with the narrative aspect. And I I have found and. You know, I grew up on Saturday morning cartoons, so cartoons, you know, speak a language to me that, that right. you know, and they're not, I mean, they're, they're academic and cartoony at the same time. And they really help me to put that narrative story um, in perspective and find yourself in the story of the Bible. And when you do that, you find that you're a part of something bigger. That's it. That's my final point. Yeah. Like and, you don't, and you don't and you don't you don't have to be a Christian to do that. Like well, I said, just read it as literature. Yeah, and see if there's it. anything in there that sounds like you. Yeah. And so, Dave, I really appreciate your time today and coming up and sharing this conversation with me. And I hope that if you're listening to this podcast, that you found something here to grab onto that can help you get through this time that we're going through and can find a way to pull out of the the dark hole that you might be in um, and find hope in the fact that this is all going to pass and it will change. And I think there'll be some, some better, better times ahead um, and, and we'll get there. So Dave, thanks again. Thank you, Drew. Uh, you are welcome. And I will see you across the street. This is Drew Zagorski. This is You Don't Say. Peace. Thanks for listening. If you have a story to tell, shoot me an email to info at youdontsay.net. And don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at YDS Stories. Thanks again, and see you on the next episode.